WrestleMania 19. Run hot and heavy. We'll get into the uh, the final build. Uh, the uh, what do you call it? The penultimate uh, week of TV before uh, before um, the big show. But anyway, let me bring my guest. He's never been on the show before. And I'll speak to him. If I'm not mistaken. I think this may be his first wrestling podcast ever. Which uh, honor to have him, uh, my good pal. I've gone to wrestling shows with him, but never had him on the pod. And that's Mr. Eric Eels. What's going on, Eric? You are correct. This is my first time talking about wrestling in the uh, nine or so years been associated with place to be in some form. Congratulations. So, welcome to the welcome to the cult. Yes, this is breaking my cherry tonight. <laughs> right. Glad to have you. Um, so my, my stated question on these, because I'd, I'd asked like, you know, you, you had mentioned interest in wanting to do it. And you're, I think you're exact to well, I'm paraphrasing, but. The weird world of 2003, I think is how you said it. You'd like to dive in with me in this odd world of 2003. So um, it begs the question, where were you as a wrestling fan in 03? Were you watching at this point, Eric? Um, were you, uh, like, first of all, were you always like a WWE? Was WWE like your first wrestling love, <laughs> for lack of a better term? Um, yeah, certainly uh, WF was my first thing. As, I, as I've told the story before, unusually... I became a fan like right around the time that Owen Hart tragically died, which you think would mostly turn people away. But um, I very much remember the uh, Undertaker forcing Steph to try and marry him on uh, one of his symbols that ended a Raw before um, that tragic pay-per-view. And uh, yeah, just sort of got to me. So, And I mostly followed along with a little bit of WCW and ECW in its final year. Mm-hmm. For a little variety, and um, 
I was certainly watching WWE at this point in 2003. Um, it's a bit of a split thing because I was watching Raw. Uh, I didn't have the access to watch SmackDown anymore because we switched over from cable to DirecTV and we didn't have UPN and WB as a package for many years until um, until about two, early 2007 with the CW finally uh, got added on. So uh, wow, one of these a, shows is very new to me. Right. It's, it's sort of a unique perspective. Like I've had Marcus on before and Marcus always speaks about how um, sort of the opposite for him. Like he didn't have cable. So he just was he only could watch was like over the air, like network stuff. But this, that is true, especially like I feel like in, in this time frame, that was like the big that's always what the cable companies would use is like the uh, the dig at satellite. You like you won't get your local channel. So it does make sense. But that's an interesting that's a unique um, situation because I feel like a lot more people probably fell into the the uh, the opposite of that. So it's certainly interesting. Yeah, um, I was certainly able to a little bit here and there. This was um, during my one year of like actual college. So if I went down, I know I left at home, like I would go down to the local college and uh, call St. Joseph and watch maybe some SmackDown or maybe, you know, Buffy on the um, the student in the student lounge. <laughs> right. The two uh, draws of UPN. Yeah. CW. So, yeah. Um, and I was certainly, this certainly have a part where I'm sort of waning as a fan because uh, looking back, the show is, we're going to talk about it. it certainly feels more energetic and connect to compared to current WWE, but it was still um, not as good at the time as I thought, you know, I was waiting and then I was starting to get more into independent uh, shows and like, you know, watching ring of honor and such around this 2003, for sure. Certainly by the end, I was going to a lot of those shows. Right. And yeah, compared, I think looking back on this, it seems a bit hotter, but if you, like you said, if you came in during, you know, 99, that was like the peak of them being very like um, soap opera ass, where like very cliffhangery and wanting to know what the angles were going to be. Where this, I feel like, is falling a bit. And what we'll get into it, I think, falling more into just like your standard solid wrestling TV show, but not. I, I don't know if they were really capturing like must see TV like they did in the Attitude Era at this point. But um, uh, yeah, for sure, I, I would consider myself more of a storyline guy than a wrestling guy at this point. Although I certainly. I've turned more into a, a mix of both for the years. Right. And like you said, if you're getting in the ring of honor, that's like that you're going full on, especially this era of ring of honor is very met uh, ring based, like uh work rate kind of stuff. Yeah. Sort of it's a just counter. Mm -hmm. I was a Northeast guy. It was nice to see guys. Mm -hmm. Like I would see like on local independent shows and some of them would be like, you know, get like an undercar role on a ROH show and, you know, mixed with like, oh, here I can see AJ Styles compared to like watching him on, in TNA every once in a while. Yeah, I've covered it like sporadically doing the news notes, but like um, I've kind of thrown it in there every now and then just as a contrast to see what was going on in Ring of Honor. And it's it, definitely looking back on it, if you look at some of those cards, not only like the star ratings, I mean, the snowflakes flying for Ring of Honor at this point, but just the guys that you would have on these shows that would go on and become these huge stars are all these shows in like, Philadelphia for 400 people. It's kind of amazing. Yes. Um, this very month we're talking about, this is when uh, Carrie Silgan becomes more of an investor in the company and uh, to essentially save the company the first time from going out of business. And uh, certainly by the end of the month, Samoa Joe will uh, win the ROH title. And that was certainly 
kick off a very great era, his very long world title reign. Cool. All right, well, we got that. So um, let's let's dive into this world of 2003. So usually I do the news and notes, but um, I was a little bit surprised going through the, the old newsletter at this time because there wasn't not a whole lot going on. The only real news that I have of any real significance, aside from the same stuff that's been, you know, bad around in there for a while, and just the general build to Mania, which, you know, I don't want to get too much into him speculating on what Mania is going to be because it's kind of set. And, um, you know, we kind of know how it's going to play out. But the only real news note was that Goldberg apparently has, um, I don't know if at this point he had officially signed, but it's pretty much known that he was going to sign or he had signed uh, a deal with WWE, which is certainly a big thing. I mean, what you know, the last real holdout, unless, you, I mean, I guess if you want to go with Sting um, from WCW. Um, it's the more reasonable demise. holdout. It didn't, didn't seem like you could really guarantee Sting ever come in. Right. So, but he has officially uh, has signed with them. And so the talk is that he probably will not, they haven't ruled out an appearance at Mania. He certainly won't have a match because um, it wouldn't pay because you're getting a buy rate anyway for Mania. You don't have a whole lot of time to build it, but he may do just like a debut, but they haven't um, done that yet. And of course, there's speculation that he's going to work with The Rock very soon after. That Rock's basically going to stick around for a bit after Mania to work with Goldberg, which of course ends up happening. But kind of the only real news thing of significance here as we're kind of everything's kind of playing out for mania not not too much as it, things were a little shaky as i discussed in the last few weeks with the angle stuff but that's kind of all um kind of set now even though there is some talk that maybe this could be or doctor's orders would have told like doctors have told angle that maybe he should um should tie it up uh hang it up i should say after uh after mania but of course he won't do that as we both know eric um, yes, he's he's for surviving Sting. Um, I I still remember a lot. I wasn't reading any like the Torch or um, the Observer so much. I was reading more like the other guys who reported their news. Um, but basically, the big thing was everyone knew about Angle being injured, and certainly surprised stuff like the match that the non-match that happened with the, the Eric Angle such. Um, and that's pretty much like. He's going to work Mania with a broken neck. That's going to be really weird. Kind of a thing. So yeah. we'll Don't worry, Eric. I'm sure he will take it very easy and kind of work a safe style of match. No worries. He'll protect himself. Uh, uh, yes. uh, <laughs> that that will be an interesting show for you and whoever the guests to uh, cover. Right. But anyway, that's about it. Otherwise, we're just two weeks for Mania and we'll, we'll start rocking and so we'll yes. start with the um, the uh, raw, the March seventeenth oh three raw live from St. Louis, Missouri, and we get and we're gonna get this on both shows. And I, I was trying to put this together because I know the United States, and we, we won't get too, too much into to this, yeah. obviously. Um, but I was gonna bring I'm it assuming, up too. right? Like, so we're getting this very, you know, we'll call it. Some would call it patriotic. Some would call it jingoistic. Whatever you want to call it, we're getting like pretty heavy, like, support the troops, American flags, little montage at the beginning of both shows. So I know the United States had invaded Iraq, I want to say in 02, or, I, uh, or at least were in Iraq. So I don't know what, it just seems very sudden. I don't know when the, I'm trying to piece all this timeline together. Like, I, I didn't really look it up. I mean, I know vague, I have a vague idea of it, but I, I wonder what exactly had happened at this time frame, because it just seems all of a sudden they're really leaning into the, 
the patriotic stuff here with the the montages about the troops and stuff. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you the same because um, the invasion of Iraq actually happens this week. Like they're in Afghanistan of 2002, but this is the very week they they come in hard mm. on Afghanistan and uh, Iraq. Like the Thursday that the SmackDown airs. Okay, so I kind of thought so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure. What's like? Was this like a known thing so much at the time, or was this um? I couldn't recall. I was listening to your last two episodes, but I was like, I didn't really hear him like mention this too much. Like, was this a regular thing? They were like, no, no. It's like the when these episodes. That's what I was thinking. We must have just yeah. like they must have made it like a film. like news? I know they were there. Right, I know they were there since oh two, but I'm guessing it must have you know gotten like how do you say this like full on like the fervor was starting right so oh, yeah it really starts this very week um which is so weird because the last week you're covering like the girls going wild pay-per-view is the last thursday falling smackdown and then this is this thursday we're covering this week sounds like uh this is all 2003 in a nutshell you know girls going wild in the iraq war yes. <laughs> hidden. They don't con- mention it all this week. After that pair view, uh, like no, no more. We're all about Playboy. Notice that. <laughs> true, true. But yeah, no. This is like just this week. All of a sudden, they're into the patriotic stuff. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, sign of the times. But anyway, we opened with um, Eric. Not you, Eric, but uh, Eric Bischoff. He opens and tells us that the main event is going to be him and Stone Cold in a lumberjack match. And if any of the lumberjacks get a line. They will be fired. So we start with that. So still bullet the Eric and Stone Cold feud that's been kind of going on since Austin returned. So they're kind of still, even though Stone Cold really his main feud is with The Rock, they're they're not quite extinguishing this Eric Bischoff feud. With, uh, no, they're gonna Austin. they're gonna get every little cent out of this. Some like Stone Cold revenge fantasy for him. It's like, hey, that's the reason to get him back after eight months. Like, hey, you get to beat up Bischoff like every week isn't that gonna be good <laughs> right yeah little imagine. do we know <laughs> how little do we know how long like we'll get into it on this episode but i thought it was maybe a bit overkill on this one but um we'll see how it plays out in the rest of 03 uh, we we're just getting we we're just getting started yes <laughs> but uh we'll go to our first match is gonna be rvd and kane versus uh lance storm and his new partner chief morley after regal has uh <laughs> Is uh being uh <laughs> is like succumbing to this horrific like stomach virus or something or whatever illness he had that like nearly killed him, but he's out of action yes. for that. That's and so Morley's right. So Morley's jumping in for him because Storm and Regal are of course kinda aligned with the uh the Morley Bischoff regime here. So uh Morley tells us when he comes out the Dudley show up, they'll have hell to pay, of course, that's still going. Uh, Kane and RVD control uh, with Kane steamrolling Morley to start, just hitting his normal power stuff, big clothesline stuff. Uh, transition to a nice little counter sequence, quick sequence between um, Storm and RVD here. Um, I enjoyed their TV match a while back. Uh, Marcus and I talked about it. Yeah, they have really good chemistry, so they go for about two minutes here. Nice little sequence. And uh, I've said it before, but Morley's looking good. Like He's definitely back in ring shape. Uh, nice impact when he hits the spine buster on RVD. So he's looking good back in the ring. Kane comes back in, starts backdropping everybody. Um, they cut off the choke slam by doing a double team DDT. Storm and Morley do. RVD regroups. Uh, Kane is able to choke slam Storm, and the um, RVD and Kane pick up the win off of the choke slam. So uh, 
just a solid few minutes of action. Uh, all these guys can go. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, and we're going to get this a lot on these shows. We're just getting some, you know, nothing amazing, but nothing too offensive for the most part on a lot of these matches. Just a good, solid TV match. And we'll get into um, the angle that happens after, but I just went uh, solid too. Any thoughts on this match, uh, Eric? Um, yeah, they just really came in hard, like a nice sprint, which you normally get like in this time for raw matches, like you get like a good six minute tag, you know, with over characters. That, that works. Um, I didn't, I knew I was going to get into it right away, like King and JR's commentary. Like, I, this is the point where I realized one thing that I don't enjoy is 2003 Jerry Waller. And they're both kind of just giving William Regal crap. Well, they're like wishing him well. Like I was like one or the other guys. Like I didn't enjoy that too much. Um, it is also weird to see Landstorm wearing all red. There were no white uh, mix for his Canadian gear. Also the short shorts. That's mm-hmm. just me thing. But I the team works. Like it's good they have. I enjoy the Chief Moore thing. Like it's a good um, reinvention for Valvinus. It's obviously the character is gone as far as you can get him going and then gone even further so i actually enjoyed him as as the bishop black at this point and uh yeah just setting things up for future plans the this uh dougley boys and you know kane rvd is something good for them to do they're not gonna be in the tile picture there's no air Connell title at this point so um, so the the post match angle we have is uh, so they go to give more of the frog splash. He avoids it, but the Dudleys show up with a table, and we're thinking that uh, the Dudleys are going to put Old Morley through the table because he is their um, their rival at this point. But we get a swerve here, Eric. They end up jumping Kane and RVD. They put Kane through the table with a 3D, and Jr. is just in complete shock here, wondering what the hell is going on because Morley has fired them so many times. Why would they double cross? Uh, why would they align themselves with Morley? And we see backstage in the following segment that the Dudleys have reluctantly joined with Morley to save their jobs. And they ain't happy about it, Eric. Bubba makes it very clear about this. But, uh, yes. you know, I, I guess it's a, a decent kind of, um, like, change of this. But I um, I still I still don't really have a whole lot of interest in this. Like, it just seems like they know this whole feud's dead. They're trying to inject some life into it. So they do this turn. But... I haven't been that into it lately, and this is not really doing a whole lot to help. Um, yeah, the reluctant uh, servitude where they're heels, but they're not heels for the authority figure is a not particular wrestling trope I enjoy. Although we we'll certainly see it quite a few more times uh, on this program in the years to come. Uh, I did enjoy that bump by RVD that went Bubba threw him straight over the ropes. He, went flying straight back bump. They made sure to show that on the replay. That looked really good. So, but, yeah, I don't really know where this is leading to, other than just, like, Bischoff's got Morley and the Douglas, um for muscle, and you can see how that played, where it plays out. Yeah, again, I mean, I get they're trying to keep it going, but I, I just feel like it's time for them to move on. I just feel like they brought the Dudleys back, and now they don't know what to do with them. And so they just don't want to end this because I feel like if they end it, they know that they have nothing real for the Dudleys to do. So they got to keep yeah. dragging this out. And uh, uh, we have when we have a draft, like a few more. Is there a, should we a draft after Mania? I don't even remember, honestly. No. 
if they if they kept it consistent, mm-hmm. uh, that'd be something to do. Just send the SmackDown, I guess. Right. Um, but we we head to our um, the champ Triple H. He comes to the ring to complain and talk about his greatness. Uh, he's he's in his gear this time, so he's not in his Evolution kind of Four Horsemen, you know, suit deal here. He's in his uh, more of the uh, the pre-Evolution Triple H with like the uh, he's kind of in his gear and his jacket and everything. He calls Booker T a street thug, but then before he can go too much further, Goldust comes out and uh, cuts him off. Goldust says that he knows deep down in the cockles of his heart that Triple H is really worried that Booker T is going to defeat him. Uh, Triple H is doing some real over-the-top, hammy, goofy, fake laughter. Goldust is stuttering. Goldust says that when he loses the world, of course, he's you know starting the world world title. Uh, Triple H mocks him by pretending to be a DJ. Just some real corny humor by Triple H here. Like, it was like, <laughs> like his worst like DX stuff was coming out here, like corniness. But uh, Goldust pops. He Goldust has enough of it, and I kind of like this out of Goldust. Like, um, and it's kind of what we've been wanting Booker T to do more. But Goldust has a short fuse. Like he's had enough of that shit. He pops Flair and Triple H in the face. But, of course, they jump him because he can't do two-on-one. And here's Booker T to the rescue. He and Goldust clean house. The crowd is very into Booker T. He gets a huge crowd reaction. But um, I didn't think this was a bad move overall. Obviously, we have the electrocution. <laughs> uh, going back to an evolution electrocuted um, electrocuted Goldust to, to kind of frame this. But I didn't mind having Goldust as sort of an intermediary here to kind of get sympathy, I guess. As now we know Booker T is going to have to protect his buddy here. So I, I didn't mind that. I mean, I guess you could say like it's sort of putting the the lens away from Booker T. But I, I don't mind it here because it gives him somebody to kind of rescue in a further issue with Triple H. So what would you think, Eric? Um, I What I did enjoy is this was all done in like under seven minutes, which is <laughs> Triple H segment these days is shocking. Came back. Um, so they just got everything they needed out of the way. I did certainly look away from the screen a couple times because this was simultaneously both with the dumb racist angle of, of uh, the world title challenger and adding in this Tourette stuff. Um, right. It just all screams cringe. <laughs> right. To me, it's just a little um, too much. Like, I've, like, obviously, it's 19 years later. Like, Dustin's fine. Booker's fine. But still. This was just like, why Why is the World Title Program kind of half turned to a joke? Second year in a row, because the same happened last year with him and uh, Jericho. Right, yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, it's it's better than where it started, but it's a very low bar to, you know, that's a pretty easy bar to climb from, I guess. So yeah. it's better than that. But yeah, it, it's no great it, shakes either. They haven't done a whole lot to... To put a lot of juice to this or make Booker yeah. look particularly amazing, even though the crowd still, but it just shows that even with this crappy angle, like the crowd wants Booker T, like they're super into him here. Yeah, this is the benefit of uh, they can get away with this kind of crap when the match is only four from the top and not even the most important match on the Raw brand, period, because it's obviously Austin and Rock. Like, right. you just can't, there's no way you can like rise above that, unfortunately. Um, also, just like just a reminder of the the fact that they broke up Booker and uh, Goldust as a team anyway when they lost the titles at the beginning of the year, which seemed to made no sense and still doesn't in hindsight. So, yeah, 
So I'm happy Booker's got this position, but I, um, I it's just a weird way to get to it. That's all. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely, um, it was pushed quickly, right? Like it definitely wasn't some long term plan. I think you can tell that pretty easily. Yeah, uh, but a piss- I think another uh-huh. benefit of like this this company not having a mid card title that we really used to help some of these feuds. Agreed. But uh, pissed off Triple H is in the locker room. He wants Eric to give him a match with Goldust. So again, using Goldust as kind of this in between to continue to push this feud along and use him getting electrocuted and. Yeah, kind of going with that. It's just a little all over the place. Like right. now, it's kind of like he's getting revenge for Gold Booker T's trying to get revenge for his buddy, uh, but they're still kind of going with the racist stuff a little bit because you got him calling Booker T a street thug. So it's just a little bit all over the place. It's, it's like you said, and it, it seems to happen. It seems to be a trend with these Triple H feuds where it's just kind of like they have somebody they think it's going to go well. It starts they. You can almost feel them, like see them knowing that it's going wrong or it's not going super well and just kind of downplaying it. And like you said, like not making it the most important thing. It's almost like they know that these are not great matchups. So, are great, not matchups, but, you know, not great angles, put it that way. Yeah, kind of the story of 2003 Triple H is not a lot of great matchups for him. Um, what is also not the most exciting matchup is Maven and Rico, which is going to be our next match show in Raw, <laughs> Eric. Um, uh, I call this the Ryan Grace special. Uh, this looks like it would be right off of Velocity or uh, Heat. Um, but so much so that they could give a shit. And uh, this is like a WCW, like uh, during the NWO era, like they just cut to the back to show Rock arriving. Like he's not really doing anything. He's just showing up. So that's how much they care about this uh, hot action between Maven and Rico. A lot of stomps and rest holes for Maven, which is kind of disappointing because Maven is, like, decent athletic, but he's just kind of relying on some pretty basic shit here. Um, Rosie and Jamal come get some cheap shots on the outside because, of course, they uh, they are still affiliated with Rico. Uh, real basic comeback from Maven, and uh, he wins with, like, a, a backslide. So uh, kind of going off of a botch interference by uh, either Rosie or Jamal, honestly. But... I've talked about it since they debuted. Just the the downward trajectory of three minute warning just continues here. It's like even with both of them on the outside in Rico in the ring, they can't even beat fucking Maven. So that kind of shows you what they think of three minute warning at this point. I ended up going to have a star on Eric. Uh, just kind of three minutes of filler, useless pretty much. I think that's very generous. Um, yeah. <laughs> first thing I noticed was this is the first time. I, um, overdub theme on the network was uh, Maven's original theme is gone. Just the uh, old Tough Enough theme. But I would guess that this was done basically to reheat him up because he got squashed by Hunter the previous week. Am I correct? Uh, yes. Yes. He, yeah. Yes. Maven, yes. So. He was fed to the wolves. Yes. Yeah. So I would think like that's good in theory, but also like you probably could have found someone better than Rico, uh, especially with him with three minute warning and just like it makes everyone look bad. Yeah. When he just, just like he gets away with a win and not his ass kicked again. Yeah, this just felt like I have no idea. Like they just wanted to kill a few minutes and put these guys out of here. Nothing of any consequence, I can't imagine. So we'll we'll press on. Um, we we head to backstage. We have HBK, who's in Stone, heads to Stone Cold's locker room at the commercial break. His little teaser, and we come back from the break, and uh, he's talking with uh, Stone Cold about the weather, 
And uh, Stone Cold is losing his patience and asks him, is this a rib? Sean says he'll be a lumberjack tonight. They kind of discuss how Rock and Jericho will be out there and like their respective feuds and whatnot. And honestly, not a whole lot to this conversation. Like, like I guess they're framing as like Austin thinks that Sean is kind of stirring the pot and getting into his business a little bit, but I don't feel like they, it was like they were just making small talk about what they had going on. It really wasn't, there was no real memorable lines. I didn't think it was almost like I felt like they just want an excuse to have these two on screen together because this is the first time they've both been in the company in a, you know, years. So I honestly think that was the whole point of this segment because they didn't really talk about anything that really mattered too much to me. Um, I agree. Yeah, their storylines aren't really crossing over at any point. So I think it's just like, Watson's back, we got to get as much out of him as Ken. I, I don't know if there was like any skill, but at the time, anyone knew how long he had left ring-wise. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just, just one of those people really in the know know, and they're just getting as much as they can out of him. Um, right. I definitely mm-hmm. know that like, they're pushing this Lumberjack match hard with like, wow, more so than most Lumberjack matches, like the actual big stars are going to be involved. Because you see like Hunter and Sean are in the graphics, like actually got me interested in wanting to see how this is going to play out. Right. We'll see how it does play out. In a it's going to be a bit strange, but all right, we'll continue on it. Uh, um, we also see that uh, we get a copy of Raw Magazine from uh, Teddy's got a copy of Raw Magazine and he is um, the Rock gets a copy of Raw Magazine, I should say, from Teddy and Rock is furious that the hurricane is on the cover and Teddy assures him that his boy is his uh his new um muscle Rodney Mac will beat the hurricane down. So um I don't know, <laughs> kind of another random. But I've enjoyed these because it like you said, they're trying to get the most out of Austin, but they're also trying to get the most out of Rock. But Rock is very entertaining in all these like random interactions because just his reactions to everything, like seeing the like his facials when he sees Hurricane in the cover, he's so uh he's so taken aback. He's just on fire with all even in this like little two second interaction with Teddy is just so funny. Like and he doesn't really seem to give much of a shit about what Teddy's saying. Like, he doesn't really take him too seriously. Like, oh, sure, Teddy. Yeah, uh, beat that guy up. I don't care. Yeah. Teddy's just, you know, trying to do his best to bring Rock over to the cause. <laughs> Seems unlikely, Teddy. Well, no harm in trying. Yeah, and sure look, There's shot. nothing wrong with getting Rodney Mac and The Rock on the big screen <laughs> together. <laughs> right. Um, so with that, we will head to the, the match uh, that was just mentioned. It's going to be Rodney Mack versus the Hurricane here. Hurricane fresh off of his upset uh, over Rock with a little bit of help from Stone Cold. But uh, Teddy quickly makes his presence known. The Mack getting on the apron, distracting the uh, the ref. Rodney Mack is hitting some shoulder blocks. Looks decently impressive, I think. Nothing, no like real amazing moves, but he looks like he moves well and he's got some good he connects pretty well in those power moves, but a nice flurry by Hurricane, like always, he hits his little neckbreaker in the Shining Wizard, which uh, King is baffled by that JR has to say about six times. He's like, yes. He's like, yeah, King, the Shining <laughs> Wizard, the Shining Wizard. The what? The what? But to your point, yeah, I've covered a lot, Eric, but uh, this era of King is just absolutely insufferable. But yeah, um, before we can go much further than that, though, Rock runs in and ends it, starts beating the Hurricane down. Um, pretty vicious beatdown too. Wears him out with the chair on the outside, and I, I thought this was effective in just establishing um, 
And we'll, we'll see something, I think, that parallels it on SmackDown, too. But just trying to remind us that Rock is vicious. Because he's kind of been, I won't say he's been doing the goofy stuff, but the Hollywood Rock stuff with Hurricane, that's kind of leaned a bit more on the comedy. But I just, it, it did a good job of just establishing that Rock is still kind of like, he could be a badass and still beat someone down. They kind of, and like, he's going to get his revenge with all this. Like, he's not just this, his new character is not just goofy. So I thought it was effective in that. I only want to start in the match. It's kind of hard to rate because it was just, it was just sort of an excuse to have uh, Rock come out and beat down the hurricane. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. That's a fair one. Um, no, Hurricane's throwing, man, he's over at this point at least. I went just the rock thing. It certainly helped a lot. Um, and he looked, you know, credible. It's like, not like complete, like, underdog, always fine from behind, but, like, he looks good, like, small guy, big guy. Um, which they were running back, Asabi, to Howell during his uh, matches. Was that a regular thing he did? Because I wasn't watching, a, I didn't watch a lot of Raws, so I basically watched this in SmackDown this week. Yeah, he still, I don't think. He's still sort of established himself. I want to say he's only had about three matches, so he's still kind of figuring out what his whole deal is going to be like. I don't know if he's had a match that's lasted more than about three minutes. Yeah. I can't really say he's done anything too consistently. Well, that's trying to make sure to protect his undefeated streak. Oh, right. This. Okay, yeah, so to that, yeah, he's yeah, he's undefeated. Uh, yeah, JR did say that. I think it's like, yeah, he's undefeated, like he's Goldberg or something. I think he's like 2-0 and <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, it's certainly a bit of a vicious detail. I'm rewatching uh, in the background, and Rock now he he posts him on the uh, railing. They make sure to also kick him in the balls a second time. For good measure. It's interesting with the the Rock Austin stuff because it's like they're kind of focused on each other, but they each sort of have other shit going on. Like Austin is obviously still you know has a lot of focus on Bischoff, and then Rock. Even though I think The Rock is more on Austin, but he's still got the Hurricane stuff right here. Even though Hurricane sort of is just like a, um, similar to what we said earlier with Goldust, the Hurricane's just like an intermediary between he and Austin. But it is a little strange how they've kind of, even two weeks away from Mania, they still are kind of focused on these kind of side feuds and not fully on each other at this point. I thought by this point, they would have gone hot and heavy and just had them interacting directly, but they haven't really. Yeah, I think it's sort of in years' time, like we mostly deal with stuff like with the guys, um, you know, wrestling each other a few times before the actual match, like maybe tag matches and such like that. And obviously, this case where it's Austin and Rock, like you're going to save them as much as possible for, you know, the big show. So, you know, he's. Rock's not really doing a lot of bumping around for Hurricane and, you know, Austin the same with Bischoff. I think also just looking at just a real case of, like, they're trying to integrate them with as many other new characters on the show who will be there after WrestleMania. I think it's just not always executed correctly. That's a good point. You're right with that. That is a good point. Yeah. It certainly worked with Hurricane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's weird. Like, once we get to Mania, how many guys that are on Raw regularly do not have a match at all? Right. That's a good point. All right. Speaking of mania, we'll head to our um, our women's uh, feud that's been going on, which is basically the entire women's roster of Raw thrown into yep. a match. But um, we're going to warm up for that by having a, um, I don't know what you would call this, because it's 
you got Stevie in there, but there's only there's only a male on one team, so I don't know if it's really a mixed tag. It's going to be Stevie and Tori versus Jazz and Trish, so, who, of course, they're all going to be in the triple threat at Mania, so that's kind of pushing this. Um, before the match, we see like a, a backstage promo where Victoria's kind of doing the Gollum thing, calling the title her precious and all. They've kind of, again, not shocking that they would sort of let something like this fall by the wayside, but they've kind of forgotten it. I mean, not that they've forgotten it's her character, but they haven't really done a whole lot to push her character lately. So it was at least nice to see them go back to it and give her some character stuff because when she first debuted, they kind of put a decent amount of effort into getting over that she's kind of, you know, not mentally well. And so it was nice to at least see them give her a second to show that again because in the past few weeks, she's just kind of, she hasn't really gotten any promo time or anything like that. So I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the more promo time you give to Victoria and Stevie together, the better. Right. But uh, we start to match a lot of hoss strikes as we start with Jazz and Victoria just kind of lay it into each other. Um, to your point that you mentioned earlier, and we've said it before, but King's uh, uh, comments about uh, Jazz being James Earl Jones Jr. just absolutely awful, <laughs> just terrible, like uh, ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah. I, I thought this thing about Booker mm-hmm. T during this match. He's going a lot and hard on Booker. Yeah, thank God. Uh, but this seems to be lacking, I thought, a little bit of energy from their recent matches. Like, I've kind of dug their stuff. Like, they usually go in there and have, like, uh, work a nice pace. I thought this is a bit slower than what they've been doing. But it's just everyone coming in, kind of hitting their few moves. Like, Ch- uh, Trish comes in and hits a chick kick. Uh, finally, Stevie, get, uh, Stevie gets it there, and he ends up taking Trish's little Rana in the corner. Uh, one of her signature moves. Then Victoria comes in, takes over on Trish, and then they do the classic, uh, you know, partners that can't get along. Jazz bails, does the the psycho sit and bails on Trish, and leaving her to uh, lose to the widow's peak. And so Stevie and Tori take the win. So again, I thought the match itself was sort of a step down from what they've been doing. Like it just didn't quite seem to have the the pace and the energy of some of their previous stuff. It just felt real basic. Like let everybody get their shit in, and then have jazz leave you know to push to make sure that we establish that even though it's a triple threat we are supposed to be rooting for trish so i just want a star and a half on those just it was just something to throw a match in there to keep this feud in our brains basically yeah pretty much um it's pretty much the case it almost they actually had the jazz not walk away there's almost a legit chance they could just win the match because they didn't actually do anything to cause like tension between her and Trish it's just like well one's a right, baby right. one's a heel tagging the other so they're working fairly fine before that right they were too lazy to even like book a, a spot where they would have like dissension like that was too much for them too much mm-hmm. effort for them to put in this match and they uh when they set laid it out not the the ladies involved but you know their agents or whatever when they yeah said what the angle is going to be which is a bummer yeah just you know, it was kind of there. And, of course, we get our obligatory Jeff Hardy appearance as he comes in to save uh, Trish here from the DDT on the chair as after the match they go to DDT or uh, Stevie and Victoria go to DDT into the chair. Like, <laughs> just so random. Like, he just seems like such an afterthought. He looks like a goober coming in. Like, what is he even doing? Like, every – and they try and play it up like, oh, he's trying to do the right thing. I don't know. It's It looks dumb. Not a fan of it. Yeah. But, the whole women's thing, it just feels very... This triple threat match seems very like the classic make sure everybody gets on the Mania card thing. And I'm glad they all are. I don't know if it's 
the best possible use of all of them, but you know, I guess they're at least going to get paid. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they mean by trying to do the right thing. I was like, he's just trying to get some whole action with Trish. Cause I don't know if he tries <laughs> to kiss her on the cheek or the mouth, but like goes in hard for a quick one and then runs off. Yeah. He just looks like a bum yeah. at this point. He, I, I am completely forgot that he was still around in March, 2003. I keep thinking he was gone by January, like the same as like Raven. Right. He he may not be physically gone, but he is <laughs> is he's not doing a whole lot. Yeah, he's so, on mentally on yeah. the way out. All right. Uh we get a um a WrestleMania promo, like a video package about Shawn Michaels showing like just his history in WrestleMania, his WrestleMania resume and about how he him speaking uh seriously about how he used to always go out there and try and put on the best match and steal the show. Um you've heard this whole deal before. But more importantly, we head to Jericho after, who's with Coach for a quick interview. And he says that he, uh, few can compare to Shawn at Mania, but he is one that can. Uh, he used to dream that he was Shawn Michaels, and now he dreams to end him and end his career, which he will do at WrestleMania. So I really thought this was a strong promo from Jericho. It was, it was simple, it was to the point, but I've been talking about how they haven't, they've hinted at this a little bit. And I'm, I was hoping, like on the last episode, I mentioned. I would hope they start leaning into this part of the angle more because I think it's the most interesting part of it. Just the idea that of Sean being sort of like a um, a hero to Jericho and somebody he tried to emulate when he was coming up and just pushing that. And I kind of liked how solemn Jericho was here. He didn't do his like, you know, normal over the top, like, uh, you know, elongating words and all that. It was a very, um, a very quiet promo. He's kind of talking softly. He didn't really elevate his voice too much. So, I thought it was real strong from him. It felt very, um, it felt very emotional from him. Like not his his normal kind of goofy, you know, kind of rock star cosplay kind of deal that he normally does. So, yeah, I kind of dug this. Uh, yes, I certainly did as well. Um, I, certainly, this is the point where they're starting to build on this Sean being like the Mister WrestleMania type thing. So I assume the video package was meant to help emphasize. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And then obviously, yeah, was, mm-hmm. and, uh, and obviously, then Christian comes in for his little cameo, and the remote they have a tag match coming up. Right, of course, that they're going to have a match, but yeah, it was. It's like not too much you could say about it because it was to the point. But uh, again, I hope they continue with this because I think, I think they have so many personal feuds going to Mania. I'd like to see them flesh it out, um, flesh them out more. So I hope they continue going this way as we get into like the final push, but. Um, we now head to Stacy and Test. Uh, Stacy tells Test she has found them a new tag team partner. Uh, and uh, as she walks away, we find out that he is looking at Tori Wilson's Playboy. So, the um, the uh, how you would say that the uh, not unfaithful because I mean he's not like cheating on or anything. Well, maybe do the girls going wild, girls. But anyway, the uh, yes. pushing the storyline that he's uh, his, his eyes for other ladies than just Stacy. We'll put it that way. Well, wouldn't be surprised if you had saw how he acted on that Girls Gone Wild pay-per-view <laughs> Thursday. Um, right. I I didn't watch it at the time, um, but I recently just rewatched uh, the um, OSW review. They did a live watch of the show behind uh, the paywall of their Patreon, because obviously that can't air on YouTube. So it'd be a lot <laughs> of censoring. And uh, yeah, Tess is drunk, and he's just going bug nuts on that show and but stacy's right there too but she's just played 
more straight. What an what an odd, what a just strange. Um, and, and coach is the buzzkill. It's like everyone starts to do something really uh, like uh, suggestive and sexual. It's like okay, let's get you off stage. Let's get you off stage. I'm like, turn a two hour show into like 80 minutes of like just rushing people. Like future sports center anchor. Yeah. Girls going wild tape. Yeah. It's you're paying for. If you want girls to be wild, like (laughs) let them be wild. Right. Come on, coach. All right. We'll get to that for now. (laughs) Right. Um, We'll head to the tag match. It'll be Test and Steiner is revealed to be Test's new partner that Stacey has recruited. And they're going to be facing Jericho and Christian. Test goes right after Jericho as they still have a little bit of beef. He uh, press slams him out, out of the ring onto Christian. Um, a weird line by JR here is uh, Steiner comes in. He says, Freakzilla, who is so aptly named. <laughs> like, like making it seem like what a perfect name for him, Freakzilla. He is a freak and a Zilla. Like, just odd. But uh, he kind of carries Christian around. Jericho comes back in. He starts to ground tests and work over the big man. I don't think this is a bad spot for Steiner. Um, it couldn't get any worse than what he was doing because – he was completely exposed, but um, obviously they've realized his limitations of kind of put him in this role where it works a lot better in attack. He could just come in, hit a few slams and then tag out. So that's a much better spot for him. Uh, but he gets hit with a low blow, manages to recover, uh, and hits a hot tag to test. Jericho seems to be in trouble here. So Christian goes after Stacy as a distraction. She gets knocked off the apron right into Steiner's arms. And as test is uh, a little jealous of this whole occurrence, Jericho comes in and steals it with a roll-up. But uh, it was a little slow given, I mean, you know, the participants in there. You got Steiner in there. He's not the brightest. But, again, I thought he looked okay in this at the worst spot for him. But uh, totally fine match. Pushes along the test and Stacy stuff. Gives Jericho, uh, I guess, a little bit of shine here. I would maybe like to see some where Jericho's looking a little bit. I guess they were trying to to push more of his um, – I guess like his wiles, like that he's clever and he, he he can steal a match like this. But I don't know if this would be my favorite thing to do with him right now to maybe put him in something where he can look a little bit like somewhere the focus was a lot more on him, given that he's in this high profile match. But anyway, I ended up going just a straight to a solid match. Let's us see Jericho and then I guess pushes this, you know, obvious where they're going with this um, state test and Stacy story. Like now he's test is going to be jealous because he's been you know, being a little scuzzy himself. So you see where that's going. Yes, the start of a multi-month uh, feud. Uh, Tess and Scott Steiner, I certainly remember this quite well. Taking up a lot of time on Raw. Um, for good or bad, I guess we'll be watching <laughs> it. We'll see how it, how, how it holds up to memory. Right. For the HGH title. Yeah. Um, but it's always fun seeing Jericho and Christian. Uh, they're a great tag team. I wish they tagged more or had more of a run with those uh, belts like they did in 2002. So, Yeah, it was, it was a fine. It was a decent enough match. Again, I'm, I'm hoping – I want to see Jericho go into Mania strong. I'm hoping he gets a nice little um, final Raw next week and kind of gets away from – I'd like to see him out, maybe a little bit away from the tag stuff and let him kind of – get the full spotlight because as you said, I would clearly the, the number two feud, I would say on the raw side, going into mania with him and Sean. Um, yeah, that's a fair amount. That's, that's fair. In my eyes. Anyway, I'll put it that way. 
Yeah. Uh, as we'll see. Because, uh, you know, Sean is Sean is first meeting him back, and Jericho's, you know, trying to match him. The superstar such like I, I'm also the cool, high-flying, pretty boy that people liked for years while you were gone. Right. It has, like, the dream match kind of deal going on, and unfortunately the Triple H Booker thing could be cool, but they've kind of done all this dumb shit to kind of take the shine off it, and Triple H has not necessarily been on the hottest streak hour, so he kind of always had to go into his things apprehensive, so. Yep. And, uh, he'll be out next. He's going to be facing Goldust, so we come out, get started. Uh, they exchange some jabs to start, kind of just exchanging shots, uh, Little, uh, get a little offense from Goldie here, but Triple H quickly goes after the arm, which I should mention is uh, injured from the electrocution. He's got like a cast on it, so he's working the arm bars. Uh, uh, he goes for the pedigree, but Goldust hits a nice little bridge out of it. I thought it was pretty good. Flair, of course, is on the outside getting some cheap shots, uh, but Booker T is out there for Goldust to neutralize Flair. But uh, we see that Randy Orton, who is again injured, is in the crowd with a crutch, and he lays out Booker T with the crutch. Um, so Booker T's out of the picture. Meanwhile, Goldust goes for the Shattered Dreams, but is stalled by, uh, I guess what I'll call post-electrocution syndrome here. Like he's going to do the Shattered Dreams and he just kind of like crumples because I guess, uh, I don't know, his nerves are damaged on who knows, but Triple H takes advantage, hits the high knee and then goes for the pedigree to win. Um, this was okay to build, but again, I feel like your main focus in this is to build the Booker T Triple H stuff. Like, I went two and a quarter on the match itself. I thought, like, the actual in-ring stuff was okay. Uh, I don't know. Triple H and Goldust have the greatest chemistry throughout their careers when they've been matched up together. But I thought this was this was okay. But I just – I don't know of just being laid out by Randy Orton's crutch. And I, I get they're trying to build sympathy. But, like, I felt like Booker T was featured here for, like, 10 seconds. Like, he, he neutralized Flair, and then he got knocked out with the crutch. And that's it. It's just – like, I don't know. I don't know if it was, like, the greatest showing for him, given that I feel like he should get the spotlight. What'd you think, Eric? Um, yeah, for sure. It's weird that they don't really play up the Goldust Triple H history, considering how many times they wrestled over the years, including Adam Mania. Uh, for sure. I, I get if this was built better, the like, this, this week is the spotlight for Goldust, because, you know, he should be getting revenge for being thrown into all that electrical equipment. But uh, it's still, you know, it's still more about Booker to a point. But like, you know, he's trying to look out for his buddy, can't handle himself. Uh, just very weird. The commentary certainly did not help matters because King is just at his worst in this match. He just, like, not just as, like, a heel, but, like, you can't even logically, like, argue stuff. Like, why is Booker have to be out there, you know, Flair's out there, you know, for Triple H stuff, like, and just going on on about, like, the parole officer and stuff like that, like, he's just, he's just gassed out. I'm just very tired of him. I'm tired of him then, I'm tired of him now. Yeah, you can't say enough how much he sucks in this era, but um, I do think they're probably hindered a bit by um, Orton and Batista going out, because I feel like this could have been a spot where you could use them. Um, like maybe have you could even do like a uh, Goldust and Booker T like you know getting the band back together for this week or something but because those guys are all out you kind of have to put Triple H in there 
that you have yeah. to, and like you said earlier, you don't want these guys to have too much physicality because you're saving it for mania. So what do you do to have the build? Obviously, they've done a lot of promo stuff, and that didn't do them a whole lot of favors. So you want to do something in ring. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's messy. Yeah, it does feel like the more natural thing is that Booker goes through each one of Evolution mm-hmm. one at a time, leading up to to Hunter, which is, you know, a solid idea. But now we're in the midst of uh, people being injured. Right. So yeah. I think they've kind of settled on it being like, at this point, it's like, okay it just kind of seems like a typical wrestling thing but you kind of still have the stink of how it started so badly that's kind of weighing it down but we'll see how it goes uh but uh we now cut the limp biscuit to say that wrestlemania is special i like that um in here fred Durst says they usually don't do tv performances which i feel like is a crock of shit like i feel i saw limp biscuit perform like every mtv spring break from like 1998 to 2000 like uh, yeah, <laughs> and it, it's more prevalent that they get to perform live in 2003 when their um, star is not shining brightly. Right, but um, yeah, just him hyping up the WrestleMania. Telling how he's always wanted to perform WrestleMania, which could be true. I don't know, but it's a good song for WrestleMania theme. Got to go on that. Yeah, it's all right. Right, we now had The Rock. Uh, he's in a great mood, but he does not want uh, Eric to touch his uh, Willie Nelson autographed guitar. And then he announces that uh, we're going to get a rock concert, but not tonight. That's going to be next week. Um, he says, oh, not St. Louis. They're not going to get it. They smell like pie. Uh, I like that he called. He's like, not in the loo. What are you thinking? So nice. I thought it was a nice little pun, like the loo, St. Louis, and also, you know. The toilet, so uh, those there's some good rock bullshit in here. Eric looks like such a goof in his karate gear. He looks like <laughs> such a such a dad in his uh, little karate thing with his uh, chest hair poking out. Um, but anyway, The Rock gets a little serious at the end and said, no one, no one embarrasses The Rock and he's going to get his revenge. But uh, just good Hollywood rock stuff here with the teasing The Rock concert for next week yes. and then shitting all over St. Louis. Just good stuff. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if you've already watched ahead next week, but, um, it's certainly going to be an interesting to recap, uh, because what is or what might not be on Peacock. Good point. So may have to, may have to, um, may have to go to the secondary sources for that. Some third parties. (laughs) Um, in fact, this very segment with Bischoff, actually it cuts in on Peacock because originally it started with rock. Um, string his guitar and sing, I guess, essentially a parody of uh, Sam Cooke's Another Saturday Night, where he's talking about it's another Monday night, and he was talking about kicking, uh, hurting his ass. So, presumably, they <laughs> cut it out. Even though it's, it's obviously a parody, they cut it out for rights. So, that's good. This Rock's concert is going to be a real uh, challenge. Right, so, I'll have to find I have to find a way to cover it in full because it's so. Yeah. Again, we I'll I'll have to pull it out of um, somewhere because it's so iconic. Yeah, got to do I it think justice. It's 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 pretty presumably easy to find. I'm sure a bunch of people have uploaded it elsewhere over the years. Right. It's just uh, seizing it into your review proper. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll get on the dark web and, and make it happen. Yes. Uh, but we will go to our main event here, which is going to be running back Austin versus Eric that we uh, we had at the pay-per-view. So 
it's going to be no DQ. Um, yes, no of, Lumberjacks. Of, right, so th- thank you. So all this talk about the Lumberjacks, and it's just the only Lumberjack is Morley. Like, all of that talk at the beginning. Like, I don't yeah. even... Because even Rosh like, talked him mm-hmm. out of it, it's very weird. Yeah, it's just, like, why even say it? I don't know. Like, did it really add anything to, like, the Rock Austin thing that Rock told him not to do it? Like, I don't really... Like, just don't do it. Don't say it's anything. Just say, like, you just have Eric be like, well, I'll, it'll be a lumberjack match. And then Eric, like, is like, actually, it's only one lumberjack morally or something. I don't know if you want to have a reason for Morley to be out there. Or it's no DQ. Like, anybody can interfere. Like, I don't know. I don't even get why even bother saying all the bullshit about the lumberjacks and, like, the Sean thing about how he's going to be a lumberjack. Just all of that is just... is. <laughs> Like plays no role in any of this. It's just so strange. Yeah, like why even it's, bother? It's a real, it's a real head scratcher of that point of the bad booking. At this point, because you're talking about it throughout the whole show, I'm like, wouldn't you want to see all the stars out there in one segment? If anything, it's Austin's benefit. You know, have all the bells and whistles. Right, because without it, as we'll see, so they they kind of do the cat and mouse thing. Austin's chasing Eric around the ringside. He ends. He runs into Morley. He just beats his ass pretty quickly. Uh, they kind of settle in on Austin doing his normal like stomp on a mud hole, as you'd expect. Kind of like the Vince Austin thing, but just doesn't have the juice because you don't have Vince in there. Because um, Vince is a much better in-ring performer than Eric. Um, nothing against Eric, but Vince is just so good at this stuff. But uh, we get a low blow by Morley, and that allows Eric to get a little bit of offense. He chokes Austin, but of course Austin comes back and stunners him. But Rock runs in. He gives his own stern to Austin. But Austin is still able to kick out when uh, Eric is on top of him. Rock comes back, goes for the people's elbow, misses that. Uh, cleans everyone. Austin clears everyone out. But again, Rock takes out, uh, takes him out and uh, takes him out with a chair, I think. Oh, I think he t- uh yeah, just takes him out and uh, mocks him as he walks back up the ramp with a beer. So I didn't even rate this as a match, Eric. To me, it was just like a segment. Uh, I don't really, I, I don't really get the point of running back the Austin Bischoff stuff. I mean, you kind of did it. It was a fun moment, but I feel like it's just, I, I don't really get it here. Especially like we just talked about, if you did the lumberjacks, that would at least add something different. To me, this didn't feel a whole lot different than the match they had before, except you have the Rock running in. But you could have done anything and have the like you could have Austin do anything and have the Rock run in. Like I just it felt like diminishing returns doing the Austin Eric thing again. Um, it's like, I just want them to put all the focus on Austin rock, like get rid of the Eric stuff. I want to see Austin and rock like they've been doing. We'll get to it in a second, but like what they've been doing with Hogan and Vince, like just let those two go one-on-one, like two of the greatest talkers ever, like let them cut promos on each other and do their thing. Like stop convoluting it, get Eric out of here. Just let them focus on each other. Not have Rock have to run in when he's having a match with Eric Bischoff. I don't know. Just let's focus a little bit more on what the what we really should be here. But uh, the the Rock mocking with the beer I thought was kind of funny. But otherwise, it's just kind of standard, you know. Like I guess it's okay. And but I feel like okay, these guys are like above doing stuff that is just okay. Like I feel they're capable of some something so much more creative and cooler, as we're gonna see next week. But this I thought was a little just kind of it was fine. Um, yeah, it was fine. Uh, he didn't take him out with Cherry, he just took him out with the rock bottom oh, where he went to grab uh, the Steve's Miller lights. 
as the Steewisers for the night. They like Rock right. starts to take the uh, the box, the box breaks halfway <laughs> through, so he just takes like four cans. That's true, yeah. So just, just yeah, uh, that's a bit of a funny thing. But uh, I don't know. I know it's thing like where they felt they need more to advertise more of the stars wrestling on the show before Mania to keep the ratings compared to SmackDown. Where it's just like, you know, it's just um, Hogan and McMahon, the only two, you know, not wrestling. You know, obviously, you're right. They're talking. You just do all the work for them. So, right. yeah, I feel like, well, it's awesome. It's, you know, back, we need to have an awesome advertised match leading to Mania. At least he actually wore his gear this time. Like, you know, he actually wore his trunks and not like, you know, his uh, jean shorts and the vest. Because when I see that, then I know, like, he's really not going to take any bumps. <laughs> right. It's true when he's got the shorts on. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you think, yeah, think about it from that way, I get why. But as someone who's ensconced in, in the build to all these things and watching them, I'm just like, I'm just hoping for. I guess this one a little more, but again, it wasn't bad. It was fine, but it was just felt like they were running back something that they've already done. Yeah. A little, a little too quick to go back to the well. We well we'll see next week bit. as we, I think next week we'll get something a little more interesting as you alluded to earlier, Eric. Yes, um, for sure. But with that, we kind of wrap up raw. So I thought this is kind of a weird episode like it didn't quite have the juice you would expect like the didn't have the energy i'd maybe expect from two weeks from mania you got rock you got austin jericho sean it just felt like like with the star power and the built-in stories that they have here with you know jericho sean austin rock i thought you would maybe get a bit of a hotter episode and as it was it's kind of like they're focusing on these other parts of it than trying to flesh out these personal feuds like i know you got jericho cutting the one promo but for how much like bullshit we got on this, like that just felt like complete filler. I feel you could dedicate a bit more time to really fleshing out these personal feuds that you have in these huge matches, and kind of I felt it would make for a bit of a hotter show. So, like I wouldn't say this was like actively horrible. It was just like disappointing. I just feel like with everybody they have right now, what they're working with, I feel like you could make a hotter show, even if you know the matches. Even the matches were nothing. You know we didn't get anything that was really about the in ring stuff. But even if you're not going to do that, then you got to give me a little bit more with the angle. So I ended up going four out of ten on this one, Eric. I thought it was a bit of a, just kind of a ho hum episode. Honestly, you didn't kind of have Rock, who's been who's been kind of featured heavily on these and like carrying everything. I mean, he was on here, but he didn't do a whole lot. And maybe some of those cut, like you said, the guitar stuff might add a little bit. But he was kind of just he was fine on this episode, but he wasn't doing anything super memorable like he's been doing on the previous one. So it was just kind of a. I would call this episode disappointing for me. Yeah, I, that's fair. Um, everyone just feels very segmented as it is. Like, not everyone's interacting as much as they should. I think it's the biggest show of the year. Right. It feels a bit sterile. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So let's see if uh, the it's, Thursday show can improve on things. Yeah, so consider yeah, like I said, considering everyone involved, I was hoping for something a bit higher. But yeah, we'll move on to SmackDown, who SmackDown is consistently better, but I will say the gap has kind of closed. SmackDown has been putting in solid shows, but they're not kinda not the classics that you are getting in the fall. So we'll see how they do. But um so we're live from uh, Louisville, of course. Classic Louisville. Mm-hmm. 
And just like we got on uh, Raw, we get the montage of the patriotic songs from Mania. This time they use a Mania slant to it, just showing um, all the different uh, performances like America the Beautiful and stuff. So again, full Iraq War mode, like we spoke about earlier. And uh, as typical of uh, SmackDown, we get a, a pretty detailed package in the beginning, just outlining everything that's been going on with the uh, the main event feud, which I, I think these are good and effective and just keeping you up to date on the stories, like if you're somebody who's not watching week to week. So, and they're really well done. They get to the point pretty well. Uh, yes, yes, they are quite good. Seeing the whole uh, Kurt Angle, uh, the, the matchup, the non-matchup free TV. The switcheroo, <laughs> right? Right. At least we actually get to see uh, him. It's like, oh, you see him. Like they show the whole thing um, in the video package, like where the switch happens during Brock's entrance with the lights down. So I appreciate that detail. Right, and it works because on SmackDown they are at least trying to build that kind of into a story where each week something new is happening. So SmackDown kind of doing an okay job at pushing kind of like the soap opera part of it. And so these are good little recaps to keep you up on that. But uh, we'll start off the match with a, I uh, start off the night with a match that's kind of um, getting over our uh, tag match that's going to happen at Mania, our triple threat tag match. So we're going to get Rhino versus Charlie Haas. Interesting match up here, kind of on paper, unique match. But uh, Rhino, I thought it had a good showing in this. Like, because uh, you get to see him work like a full match in this one. You're so used to Rhino being, uh, and obviously I've seen a lot more of him doing the TNA pod and stuff, but um, I thought he did a, Nice little performance in this TV match. Like, you're so used to just seeing him kind of do his signature stuff and gore people, but he kind of, like in here, like, he's first he starts wrecking Shelton Benjamin, but then, uh, uh, sorry, he uh, starts wrecking Haas, but Benjamin pulls the ropes, and Rhino kind of spills out, so then he's kind of weakened, and Haas targets the knee, so you kind of get him selling uh, down on the mat, trying to fight out of this knee work by Haas. Uh, he comes back and launches Haas with a backdrop. He looked like he flew, like, 10 feet in the air. It's very impressive. But uh, Benjamin interferes here. Things break down, and they just kind of both run in and nail Rhino with the belt. So a bit of a schmoss finish. So I, I went two stars on it. This was just a classic, like put two guys who are gonna put two guys who are gonna be in the title in the tag title match in a singles match just to kind of give you a few minutes of good action. And I enjoyed it because it was at least, like I said, a unique kind of pairing, not one that you would always think of like Rhino and Charlie Haas. So I think it made for something unique where. Rhino's big, but then Haas kind of uses his amateur wrestling stuff to kind of uh, get Rhino down the mat for a little bit. So I thought that was interesting, but then they just kind of break it down. So just a decent little solid two-star match for me, uh, Eric. Yeah, um, it was a good showcase for Rhino since, you know, he literally just came back after being gone for over a year uh, with the next surgery and such. You know, just show, give him some ring time. Uh, and nice, you know, showcase for the Tag champs. I mean, I mean, these two guys just burst onto the scene. Like it was, it was crazy at the time. Like when you, uh, I wasn't able to watch it, but you know, hearing about it at the time, 2000, 2003, like these new guys associated right with Kurt Angle, the world champion. Like, yeah, just dominating tag. And uh, yeah, also, this point when uh, Shelton pulls around over over the top ropes and Chris uh, Benoit chase him. He does a running yep. leap into the crowd and then does a leap back. Like, <laughs> just so athletic. Yeah, one thing you say about SmackDown, like, everything these guys do, and, like, I covered a few episodes ago when there was, like, the interesting uh, story in The Observer just about 
these guys work in this physical style and how it's leading to these injuries and stuff, but they go balls to the wall and everything they do. <laughs> like, even what you're saying, like, just jumping in the crowd like this, like, they go full bore. Like, <laughs> they are not, like, everything has to be, like, dialed up to 10, which is fun. It gives, like, a, an extra, I think it gives some juice to SmackDown that you don't always see on Raw. Just how uh, intense I- all these guys are. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, these are certainly the kind of wrestlers I like because they're not going to throw on like big high impact bumps that could hurt themselves as, as the worry at the time with all the neck injuries, like mixing with the amateur stuff. But um, yeah, but they certainly got a lot of energy, a lot of pop to everything they do. So, right. Uh, we think it's something I wasn't expecting to see, or someone I wasn't expecting to see on this, and that's Bob Costas. So again, uh, Bob Costas talking about, which is going to be a running um, segment throughout the show, as they're going to do these a couple of times. We have Bob Costas talking about, like, just the Hogan versus Vince thing, their history together. So gives a little bit of, I guess they're going for the credibility, just to have, um, which I thought was cool. I think this is a cool little angle that they take, and we'll see some of the other people they have speaking, but. I kind of thought it was interesting that they got Bob Costas to come in here and talk about. Like, I think he compares it to like the uh, the old timers, uh, you know, whatever like old timers game in baseball or something. But I thought it was a cool little touch. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it's a very cool touch. You know, Costas got a lot of credibility, and you know, Jimmy was a fan at a certain point of wrestling. Um, until, you know, we had that interview with Vince where he, you know, was throwing his papers around and such. Which I believe happened before this, so I'm surprised they caught him, regardless. <laughs> right. Um, so with that, we will move on. We cut to Stephanie's office. She's with uh, Brian Kendrick, and she is not happy about his, uh, his little stunt with his penguin outfit wrestling when he's not supposed to be wrestling. He keeps defying her authority. Um, he ch- apologized to her. And she says, don't apologize. Uh, she's going to give him a match against Shannon Moore. And if he wins, he gets the job. And if he does get the job, he will listen to her. So, um, yeah, just continuing on with the Brian Kidger trying to get a job thing. And also continuing with the the vibe that this is like a very much a um, a young man with a, um, a dominant female boss. I'm just going to say that, Eric. You take that uh, very well. Yes, definitely. Young Brian and his... Uh... Very nice Hawaiian shirt. Yes, aim to please. Stephanie towering over him for the camera set to make her look even more towering as if she wants to step on him. Gonna enjoy uh, it. I don't think he would mind that much. They know what they were doing. They know what they were doing, Eric. Yeah, this is quite the thing, the the spanky experiment. (laughs) Young Brian Kendrick. And now he gets his uh, chance. He gets Shannon Moore. Oof. It seems a little bit more up his alley, right? Seems a little more manageable for him to get his job. But at this point, it's kind of like, all right, just give him the job. Like you're just gonna keep giving him chances until they just hire him. Like you obviously following you around the country, so. Right, but I guess then Stephanie wouldn't be able to do her like little, uh, her little power trip thing, dominate him. No, she she likes it. Right. So we get another Cena rap, uh, and this time it actually has like a little beat underneath. Normally, he kind of does these acapella, but he has a little beat. Uh, he first kind of he doesn't go to Brock immediately on this one. He starts to he like talks about him being like this outside outsider rapper. He's like outside the mainstream, so if people don't want to take him seriously, 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then he goes right back to Brock like he's been. I always have like one line that sticks with me on these. And the one in here was like, um, I'll piss on you like urinal cakes was the one that, that got me. But I don't know. These are, I mean, they keep them in your mind and they're, they're certainly memorable. I mean, it's, it's accomplishing its purpose. I'm assuming, I don't remember, but I guess maybe he's like hurt or something right now, if I had to guess. Uh, yeah, I believe he got hurt a little earlier in the year, presumably. I'm not assuming by Brock, but maybe that was a storyline excuse, at least. But this is a good, you know, way to just keep him around, much like, you know, uh, Rainey had the RNN segments previous year on Raw. So, short to the point. And, uh, also established that his, uh, thing in WrestleMania, he's challenging any other rapper to come out and, uh, and, uh, fight him verbally. Yep, but he, he's he's knocking these out. He's doing a good job on them. I think it's building his character. I think it's – and they're quick. They're only about two minutes, so just these quick two-minute things. And I've, as we'll get into our next event, I've kind of dug these kind of random little like – like these things, like the Cena stuff, and as we're going to get to it, the girls, these kind of outside of the, uh, the confines of the arena. It kind of has this old-school feel where they would do these like on-location vignettes. And as we'll go to this one with the garage, so he'd done these before, but it's um, Chavo and Eddie this time they're at the golf course. And of course, we see two very uh, snooty white guys on the golf course who, uh, of course, they think that Eddie and Chavo should be in the kitchen. Uh, they don't know anything about golf, but him, I love Eddie saying the thing about the uh, your four swing is cutting into your slice, man. <laughs> like, it's so good. Like, just him talking like uh, golf vernacular was really good. But, uh, so they threaten them after they make the comment about the kitchen. And so the guys um, acquiesce and allow them to play and say that they can have a foursome. Uh, Eddie says, hey, man, we don't want to do any of that. We just want to play some golf, which is nice. Uh, just a lot of goofy antics like them screwing around the golf cart, um, rigging the scorecard, and then they end up winning. And, of course, they bet money on it. So they win all the guys' money and also get their watches as part of it. So. Just a fun little, uh, just the Guerrero's doing Guerrero stuff. But again, I like the change up of this, like doing these kind of old school on location little segments is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that's definitely uh, always good to enhance uh, someone's character on location stuff. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> the golf thing is very funny. <laughs> I didn't. I thought at this point that they were heels. I didn't realize that they had turned babyface already. Right. So yeah. it totally works for They're just too, they're very entertaining. Right. I think at this point they're trying to make it seem like it's cool. Like they lie, cheat, and steal. They make these two guys look like dweebs. And um, I, I think it's a cool thing too. Like just for WWE, at least at this point, you know, I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of what they're doing, but it, it's a cool, like, like you said, that not only this, but they're making this like a face that they're face characters, you know, like going around fucking with these people, like kind of taking advantage of like turning the tables on these like smug golfer dudes is kind of fun in that they're presented as faces for it. I think it's a cool little twist. It's, it's like Eddie, Eddie specifically is just like he's so charismatic in these things. Like what he said, it killed me. Like the thing about the uh, your four swing is cutting into your slice. Like, yes, so good. If I knew um, more about golf, be... I would agree. Yeah, I don't know what any of that means, but I, it's just funny just to hear Eddie in that, you know, an Eddie delivery talking about, you know, golf terms. But 
Um, they're going to be in, in the ring with their, their good power, Kishi, in a, a six-man versus the FBI here. So um, good early sequence for the faces, the Guerreros and Rikishi. Just FBI's bumping all over for them, feeding well. Chavo gets a nice little enziguri I thought was good. Taz, they should – we haven't mentioned it yet, but Taz is on another one on this show. He's got all these crazy lines in here. Like, in this one, he says, instead of Rikishi, they should have recruited their – um. Their other brother from Ecuador, uh, Dirty Sanchez. So just, Taz is just <laughs> he's, he's yeah. tazzing it up. Uh, he's had a lot Chavo, of fun. <laughs> Chavo gets worked over until we get a really awesome hot tag to Eddie. Like just house of fire, sick drop kick all over the place. Hits the frog splash on, I don't even remember which one, the FBI. The FBI were just kind of like crash test dummies in this match, honestly. They were just feeding the, uh, the faces, but... Eddie hits an awesome frog splash. Just a match to keep the Guerrero strong going into Mania. They kind of had a semi-little deal going on with the FBI. But, you know, they obviously just want to feature everybody who's going to be in that triple threat tag match. So this is a fine way to make the Guerreros look good. They looked impressive. So two stars from here. All right. Yeah, it's cool. This is a nice little brisk pace. So, you know, given that, you know, it's good showcase for the Guerreros. And it's nice, you know. Everyone else get a showcase. Um, I sort of memory hold those like don't remember anything where Kishi did pretty much 2002, 2003. So it's nice that he was around doing stuff. And that was the uh, Chuck Palumbo getting some use out of him after the Billy and Chuck uh, storyline ended. Right. And this one, and again, I hate to always just go back, but it's so it's almost impossible to not do it like to compare Raw and SmackDown like this, but the FBI are a good example of like, they're definitely lower card. They kind of just job, but they have like, they have some kind of gimmick. They go in, they put over these other guys. They look good in doing it. Like they make the other guys look good. Like they just serve a role on the show. Like as opposed to on Raw, where we just kind of get Maven, like we get Maven and Rico. Neither one of them are doing anything. Like, it just feels like a waste of time. Like this, yeah, FBI aren't really going anywhere right now, but they make the Guerreros look good, who are going somewhere. And Rikishi's just being Rikishi, the the gatekeeper of SmackDown. So he's just in there doing Rikishi stuff. So it just feels like everything has a bit more of a established sort of hierarchy. And you can get, even when you get people who are maybe not the biggest stars, you kind of, like, they have a role and you kind of understand their role. And it's it serves a purpose, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's just a case of, you know, better planning, better booking, you know, between the Raw and SmackDown team. So, I'm good for them. Uh, we get another WrestleMania promo, uh, like we got with the Bob Costa, and this time we actually have Bobby Heenan talking about Hogan and Vince. Uh, he talks about how they're both driven by money and fame. And again, this is a, another cool one, like just Bobby even his perspective. It is a little sad because you can, you know, already in this you could hear Bobby's like, you can tell by his voice that his, yeah. his health was, you know, not good. So that part's a bit sad, but it was cool to see him. And just, I, I just like that how they're, again, and this is kind of more of what I would like to see them do with the some of those feuds on Raw, like with Jericho and Sean, is to kind of flesh it out more in this way. Like in this Hogan, I feel like they're doing so many different things with the the Hogan-Vince deal. Like they did the uh, the Vince promo where he's in the dark room and the, has the creepy angle. They're doing these little wrestlemania history promos and like tying in the wrestlemania stuff to you know the history of of hogan and vince by having all these kind of like uh personalities speak about them they're just kind of 
doing a lot of different cool, interesting things. And I wish that we'd get a little bit more of that with these other ones. But yeah, I dug this one too, just like the Bob Costas one. Uh, yes, it's always good to hear Bobby. Um, even in case I just have to turn my volume up a little bit just to do his uh, situation. But yeah, he, so, he certainly has a good perspective on all this. I was expecting more to just rag Hogan, just keep to his gimmick. They always hate Hogan, but what else? Right. It is It is interesting in this. They're, they're, they're getting these personalities to talk, but none of them are really like going full face heel on it either. Like they're not making it seem like Vince is the evil one and Hogan's fine. They're kind of like, you know, both these guys are, they're both like egomaniacs and this is the perfect match because yeah. it's, they can settle, you know, the winner can be the, you know, the dominant ego. So that's kind of a cool twist on it. They're playing up the prestige of it all, the 20 years in the making that, you know, so, which totally works. works, and I wish I wish Vince would allow this kind of stuff for more other guys on the card besides himself. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, but we go to our, our next match, which is going to be um, uh, a match that I was salivating out when they, you know, when they both came out, which is going to be Rey mm-hmm. Mysterio versus Jamie Noble. Um, you know, I'm not going to try and call every move that they did, but it was it was just balls to the wall, like just a balls to the wall cruiserweight match. Wicked moves, awesome sequences, like super crisp, high impact on everything, like big impact on all the bumps. Like there's like uh, you get I'll just to throw some out, you get Ray hitting the super awesome crossbody. Like he looks so good when he does it. He seems like he's floating in the air for about four seconds when he hits that. We got a buckle bomb, top rope brana, just again, super crisp, back and forth, uh, huge bumps. Nidia uh gives Noble a bit of an advantage as she goes to grab Ray's mask. And uh, she, he ends up hitting her with a Piscata. So he just wipes out Nidia. A little bit out of character from Mysterio, but I guess they're trying to play like, well, she asked for it, uh, whatever. But Noble is now pissed. He wants his revenge. But um, uh, as soon as he goes to go back after Ray, Ray springs board back in and hits him with a West Coast pop. And again, just like the rest of this match, even on the West Coast pop, he like really drove Noble's head straight into the mat, like really cracked him right into the mat. So... Um, I really dug this. It was a fun sprint. Like I said, just like a few minutes of balls to the wall, cruiserweight action. And both these guys were just so damn good. And again, just in a continuing trend, you know, not like this is, they have anything going on, but just, I thought it was effective in that they're kind of pivoting Ray back into being in the cruiserweight division and going for the cruiserweight title. So I think it's cool since he's kind of been working more with the, the main event, sort of the upper card guys, uh, in the heavyweights, I think it's good to kind of give these matches to reestablish like, oh yeah, he like is, <laughs> he is the cruiserweight, you know, like he is the guy that in WCW kind of made this famous. And so I thought it was effective in doing that and just showing what he does, like how he works in a cruiserweight match. So I ended up going two and a half on it. Um, yeah, absolutely. These two guys are some real studs at this point and they just go a real s- sprint. Uh, it was very smart move to bring Ray in and just immediately program him with uh, most of the top guys on SmackDown. So then we got to this point right. where him and, and Matt Hardy to a point too, is like more established guys on the roster that like you more invested in the Cruiserweight title match at Mania. So absolutely, that thing's a, a good thing. And um, yeah, Noble's just great. So I miss seeing him uh, wrestle. I'm glad he's still there. Like he's, you know, helping agent 
the current generation of guys. But yeah, when he was in the ring, he was just something else. Yeah, they both roll. Um, I'm excited to see where they go with Ray kind of being back in the cruiserweight division if they start to focus a bit more on it on SmackDown, which would be exciting. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then certainly they need to, uh, they always talk about they want to build up the Latino stars, and they certainly have quite a few to focus on. All right, we had the Kurt. He's speaking with his brother, Eric, who is now on crutches after getting absolutely destroyed by Brock Lesnar. Um, he tries to explain uh, tries to explain to Eric that it is all Brock's fault, which is funny, not taking any of the blame for putting his poor brother in harm's way like this. Um, they head down to the ring, to, uh, and Kurt starts to gloat about escaping from Brock. Um, I love just... <laughs> Kurt's character is just always so good, like, He's so, like, uncaring. Like, he talks about how his brother, he lasted just long enough for me to retain the title, which is so good. Like, he just doesn't give a shit that he he left his brother to be destroyed by this monster. Like, all he cares about is that he lasted long enough. Like, not even, like, hiding that he just sacrificed his brother. Um, He says that he loves Eric, and he's not like, he loves his family, and he loves his brother, but not like the sickos in Kentucky love their family. So, just a good dickhead, uh, Kurt Line. Uh, he then asked uh, Eric if, uh, just like his mom said, that they don't suck. And he goes, yeah. He's like, yeah, Kurt, you know what? You don't suck, man. <laughs> just so funny. Um, he calls Brock an embarrassment to amateur and pro wrestling. And then Steph arrives and tell him, tells him that if he, he will lose the title in any way at um, WrestleMania if he loses by DQ or count on, et cetera. So he can't use that to try and um, sneak away with the title. Um Brock then comes out. Uh, Brock throw, throws his poor brother at Brock. Just so good. He's such a chicken shit. Um, but uses that as a distraction. He then goes after Brock, hits him with an angle slam onto an open chair, which is pretty vicious. Locks him in a cross face until the officials show up. And, um, you know, just kind of, uh, again, like we saw with um, with The Rock, like I said earlier, they do the same thing with Kurt here. They've been... There's been so much of Kirk kind of playing these games and stuff with Brock that now he's finally turned it, and now he just takes the chance. He's still playing his games by throwing his brother in the way, but now he's using it to kind of um, to try and break down Brock and uh, you know, get a good beat down on him before the pay per view. So again, just making sure we don't forget that Kurt is a badass, even though he can, you know, he kind of does a little bit of chicken shit here and there. If it, when it comes down to it, he can beat the shit out of somebody. So. And uh, so overall, I thought it was done. It did both parts of Kurt well, like his his funny heel dickheadishness, um, you know, just not caring about sacrificing his brother, Brock Lesnar, and then beating Brock down. I thought this was all super effective. Just an excellent, like, vintage Kurt Angle segment. Absolutely. he uh, He's always good walking that fine line between being a, just a tense, badass wrestler and just, like, a, a goof. Who could just heal on the crowd so easily, just like the pot shots of this town. He's my favorite <laughs> of like going after the town, right? So, right. But yeah, this is, he... mm-hmm. No, this is a good stuff. Um, I completely forgot about the stipulation, like he would lose for DQ or anything like that. That's just completely new to me, yeah. Same. I don't, I'll be interested. I, I feel like it probably doesn't really play into the match. Really too much. Oh, it's just like I don't one think of those does. things. Um, no, not at all. Right, but yeah, the Kentucky line was good because he doesn't like 
he just kind of falls into it like he's like I love my brother. Not like you sickos in Kentucky, though. Not in that kind of way. No. It's it's good, but it's not as memorable as his infamous um, rip on Kentucky at uh, Judgment Day 2000 when him and Edge and Christian dress up as a junk band. The fake team. (laughs) Cardinal versus Kentucky. Um, All right, we go to our next match, which is uh, kind of a random one on paper. It's going to be Undertaker versus Bill DeMott. So um, we're also... uh, I should mention Nathan Jones is watching this on a, a very strange monitor that's like built into the, the like SmackDown stage. It's like in one of the like metal things, like a little circle screen. It's strange, but he's watching it. We're told is he's going to have his in-ring debut next week on SmackDown. But uh, uh, Taker shows off a bit of his MMA offense by working some leg locks here. Demont keeps hanging around every time Taker seems like he's got him down. He hits old school, but Demont comes back with a belly to belly, a spine buster. He even gets like a pretty Pretty good near fall on Taker, but of course Taker comes back, hits a choke slam, hits the tombstone, and uh, wins pretty handy. So I want to star on it. This was just straight up a, a tune-up match for Taker. Again, a continuing trend on the show, just trying to feature everybody who's going to be on Mania. Maybe not really building up too much or doing too many promos or anything like that, but just a very, um, for better or for worse, like it felt very like WCW Saturday Night in a lot of ways. This show. Uh, yeah, this is the real um, little light of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Not even the fact that what I know about Bill Dumont being a piece of crap, but like I've never been a fan of him at all ring-wise, so it's it's just a showcase for a taker to beat someone up and start showing off more of the MMA-type influence as this Nathan Jones storyline drags on. Come on, Eric. He's going to debut next week. Come on, don't you know it? Uh, okay, I'll play it when I see it. <laughs> the, the Colossus. Um, Colossus yeah. of Bugger Road. Yes, the Colossus of Bugger Road. I was trying to think of um, his WWA nickname he had when he was thinking of the joint there a year earlier. You ever see him like in those WWE uh, pay-per-views? I have not. I'll have to... Uh... Be a YouTube roulette selection, maybe on the uh, Place to Be Nation. I believe all of those pay per views are on YouTube for sure. Mix and Nathan Jones. Yeah. Would be fitting. Would be fitting for that podcast. All right. Uh, all right. Let's continue on and we will go to uh, Brock is with his trainer who thinks he may have uh, a broken rib. So maybe Kurt did do some damage. And then we go to Brian Kendrick's match with Shannon Moore to see if Brian Kendrick. Can get a job. Um, I love this here as Matt comes out with Shannon Moore. But if you if you didn't know better, you would think it was Matt Hardy's entrance because his music and um, they kind of the take on the Matt facts here is that since it's Shannon Matt, Shannon's match, it's just all these things about how Shannon Moore loves Matt Hardy. Like Matt graciously included Shannon in his book. Um, Matt is Shannon's idol. But that was a nice little uh, him taking over <laughs> Shannon Moore's entrance. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty fun little match. It's very X Division, uh, a little TNA for me here. Uh, nice snap in the offense, just a lot of constant back and forth. Matt ends up getting Kendrick and Flapjacks him on the steps, but Kendrick's able to survive that as he kicks out at two. Ray comes, takes out Matt, which um, at that point it allows Kendrick to hit the slice bread and beat uh, Shannon Moore, and he gets a job. So a nice little moment there. I thought it was a fun little few minutes. Again, it felt very X division. Like just two guys going back and forth really quick. 
I don't know. These two guys just feel very X division to me. So, but a, another like two star match, just a solid few minutes of TV in a good little moment to have Kendrick finally <laughs> officially get a job instead of showing up every week without a job in wrestling anyway. Uh, yes, absolutely. Now I agree with you. This is certainly a very uh, X division type. They make use of the time they have. Um, and both these guys eventually would eventually wrestle in the X division after this. So, but it's just a, it's certainly a treat to see um, Matt and his moron. <laughs> so I was always a fan of the of Matt Hardy V1. And um, Matt, I didn't get to see enough of it live because so I couldn't watch the show. But everything I heard about it just sounded like gold every week. Yeah, he, he's been killing it as uh, Matt Hardy V1. Yes. Yep. So pretty straightforward stuff here. So we will roll on. We have the uh, WrestleMania New York press conference, pretty standard WWE PR stuff. And then we hit to Vince in his office with uh, with his attorney, Tim, his top attorneys, uh, who was speaking with the legal team. He wants to be certain that this contract that they're going to sign will ensure that Hogan will never wrestle again if he loses. Him and his attorney give kind of like a semi-maniacal like laugh as they at the end as they discuss that they have put this in the contract. So... His um, his uh, his attorney here, Tim, kind of looked like um, like Milton from Office Space a little bit. Uh, yeah, a little bit, just uh, more dark-haired <laughs> Milton. Right, sure. With the mustache. Yeah. yeah, he certainly looks like a legalese guy, or he's a you know um, high school administrator. Right, makes sense. So just um, we'll see more from this early kind of and it also just kind of sets the stage for the contract signing for earlier. I mean, later. And with that, we'll go to our next match. So again, another another kind of mania preview match to continue the build. It's going to be Shelton versus Benoit, kind of like a um, a pairing to the match we got earlier with Rhino and Charlie Haas. Um, A quick physical match here, just back and forth, fairly grounded. I thought kind of worked a lot on the map between these two. Until finally, uh, I like the ending. I thought was the highlight of this. Again, it only went a few minutes. Uh, a trend on this show. Just lots of quick matches to keep everybody. Just to make sure we keep all of these different players in our head and what they have going on. But the finish was cool. As you guys, Haas was going to come in almost to do like a similar finish to what we saw earlier where they run in and jump him. But uh, really awesome timing. As right as uh, Haas hits the ring, Rhino comes in and just gores the piss out of him. Uh, right out of the ring. And that allows Benoit to get the cross face and uh, beats Shelton with the cross face. So kind of evens it up a little bit there. Not that Rhino lost the match earlier, but kind of has um, the faces standing tall here. So I want to start and a half. It's a pretty straightforward match, but I did enjoy the finish with Rhino coming in at, with uh, perfect timing to nail Charlie Haas. Yes, yes, I enjoyed that too. Um, so I, I liked it. Uh, he got the cross face on, then he attempted to run in, and then oh, got still missed. Yeah, so he got kept him in the crossface for a little bit, which I guess makes Sheldon look good. They didn't tap out right away; they was fighting it. Right. So, but yeah, that's a main event match for the evening. Yep, technically, you are correct. Our three minute match here. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a very we'll, we'll kind of sum up both these shows in a second as we get to the end. So we'll we get to our main event and we'll kind of sum up this one. But our final Hogan Vince uh, little. WrestleMania history promo video package deal. Um, so we had Bob Costas, we had Bobby Heenan, and we rounded out with Jesse Ventura. 
kind of again kind of hit similar points that the other guys got i think he leans a bit more into like the history of wrestlemania and that sort of thing but just a lot of the same we heard earlier just from jesse so it's it's a lot more just about having these these personalities on the screen talking about than necessarily i think the the content of what they're saying yeah everyone's playing nice and not really talking about their real feelings for either guy <laughs> that's true brother they, yeah, so it made far more entertaining SmackDown, but I guess they were going for. All right, and with that, it leads us right into our main event contract signing. We actually have Mean Gene here, so again, kind of leaning into what we've been doing with the uh, the video packages with these kind of legends, because we're going to have Mean Gene overseeing this. Um, like I said, really leaning into the history. Hogan tells Gene that there's no way he will let Hulkamania die. I should mention we get the typical, like, six-minute Hulk Hogan um, entrance here with the god-awful dub. So I apologize that you had to suffer through that, Eric. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to use it at this point, these dubs. Right. So. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, Vince tells uh, – so we have Vince – we cut to Vince, and he's kind of walking through the backstage area. He's telling everyone – Backstage, you don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss what's going to happen next. Uh, the music hits, and Vince is actually behind Hogan, sneaks up, lays him out with a chair. The crowd is just losing at this. Cracks Hogan in the face. Um, in a really awesome moment, um, Hogan is bleeding at this point. Vince takes his hand, puts it in the blood, and makes him sign the contract in blood. Just, um, uh, just such an awesome, absurd, maniacal Vince thing to do. Um, a really cool visual too, um, but I thought it was also just a cool like subversion of the whole contract signing. Like they didn't go in there and like do this long segment. It was just all a complete trap set up by Vince, this evil man, to make to make Hulk Hogan sign in blood. But uh, and I also thought it was really effective at showing that like obviously Vince is not the biggest, you know, he's not a wrestler or anything per se. But it shows that, like, he is a threat to win this just because he is so, like, he's so ruthless, you know? Like, he'll he'll do, like, he's insane. He'll do anything. So it kind of makes you think, like, he could win this because you never know what he's going to pull out to kind of, to get the win here. So I thought that was cool, too. So I, I thought, it, and just so many nice touches. Like you said, Eric, like, I think part of it is because it is his feud, so he's going to put a lot of effort into these things. But, like, him having his disheveled hair after, like, Vince, after he's finished beating the piss out of Hogan with the chair, his hair is all floofed up, like, um, he looks insane. So just all these little details to make him look like a complete maniac are so good. But, yeah, I thought it was an awesome segment to close. I've been, um, of all the few, just if I would go by the build, I think Hogan and Vince uh, has been the best built feud of all these for Mania, honestly. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's the match that's on the DVD cover when they promote it as essentially the main event after the fact. Uh, and well, this isn't the last maniacal Vince look. Like, we're going to get the ultimate one coming up. And you, I'm sure you, I don't have to spoil it for anyone. If you know, you know it's coming up. Right. Yeah. Right. And I um, thought the contract signing with the blood was a good little kind of uh, sort of foreshadowing to that. Yes. I can't recall. Is this only the second time Vince has done this to someone make them sign their own blood? Because he definitely did it with Austin. Um, <laughs> for Fully Loaded 1999, there was, like, first blood match with Undertaker, like, end of an era. Like, if Austin wins, Vince leaves forever and all that crap. But do you remember that? 
Uh, yeah, who knows? Probably by the end of 2007 or whenever he's probably done it about 18 times. <laughs> Nothing, Vince. Yeah. yeah. It's a good trope. Like something right. signed, something there on blood. But and also pretty graphic, you know, considering this is the network show that's supposed to be the kind of more family show. Kind of, depending on your definition. Right. Well, it's also so. the show that gave us, uh, that gave us Al Wilson, so. Yeah. I guess they can push it. I think they had a lot of like leeway just because for like UPN or whatever, they were like a relatively like a ratings juggernaut for like what UPN was getting. Yes. It didn't quite lead to more viewers on the other shows at this oh. point. But uh, yeah, it was a great build. Um, and the sort of case where, you know, the match lives up to the hype for sure. It defies all expectations because they weren't really expecting a Vince uh, Hogan match to be really as good as it ended up being. Well, with that we end uh, that in SmackDown. So, a pretty kind of a quick show. Like I said, it, it felt very WCW Saturday night to me. Not, you know, again, not really in a bad way, but not like it was amazing. To me, it was like a replacement level episode. Like, I gave it a five out of 10 because it was just nothing amazing. Uh, but you got some kind of fun matches along the way. It kept everything in our minds in a pretty engaging way, even if you didn't get, like, the most development of these things, right? Like, you just kind of got a little bit to keep, either remind you of things, and in the case of Hogan and Vince, you know, Brock and Kurt, you got a little bit of something. But it was all executed well. I think you have such over characters here, like Kurt's so good that even if he's kind of doing, I wouldn't call it a throwaway, but it's just, like, a pretty standard him cutting a promo and, doing a beat down on Brock he just executes it so well and same thing with Vince like the little um jumping Hogan I thought that was all done well in the matches again we didn't get anything I would consider like a hidden gem or something I would probably come rewatch again but they're all fairly entertaining and, and did their job and the show moves pretty quick so to me it was just like a good solid episode of wrestling tv and um I do hope they kind of come in a little hotter and maybe kind of really push it a bit more on the go home but just a solid five out of ten for me, Eric. Yes, uh, I, I think that's more than fair, uh, for sure. I mean, other than the Vince Hogan thing, like that's the kind of thing. Like, what else do you need to do leading to the show? Like, that's mm-hmm. why I was assume, like a go home angle is. Right. So, but yeah, um, we got one more week left, and let's see how they go. Go about it. Very good. All right, so. We've got those. We'll hit. We'll hit some quick awards here, Eric. Uh, best match, not a, nothing really standing out for me. I ended up going Mysterio and Noble was probably my favorite of these, even though I didn't give it any kind of, you know, earth shattering rating. Oh, I would certainly agree with that for sure. I would say like second choice, maybe that tag with RVD and Kane versus um, Storm and Morley, just because it was so you know, high energy. Uh, best moment, I think I am going to go with Vince making Hogan sign in the blood just because I don't think we had a ton of moments, per se, like on these shows. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, best show, I went SmackDown, but again, not like it knocked it. You know, it didn't completely crush or anything. I just thought it was a bit smoother. So I went SmackDown. I would certainly say SmackDown because... Um, they got more out of, you know, they're un- utilizing their undercard and such throughout the show. And, you know, it doesn't have to drag because it, they 
you know, is the tape show, but they hit it exactly two hours in. And we are in the era of uh, Raw having the, what, 15-minute overrun? Correct, yes. Brought you yeah. a little bit longer. Um, LVP, uh, I actually went with Jeff Hardy, just because he just seems like they throw him out there. He looks completely lost, like you said. He just honestly looks like he shouldn't even be there right now. Really? Hmm. Um, I don't know. That very brief appearance with LVP. Right. I guess I'm just going by off of how he's being presented. You know, like, I feel like they don't think much of him at this point. Maybe is my angle on it. What do you think? Yeah. Who do you have? Get some candidates on here. Um. Yeah. I would just go Bill Tamont because he's Bill Tamont. But always, always a good, always a good choice. Bill Tamont yeah. sucks. So. Yes. <laughs> you won't get any argument from me. MVP here. I, I think I'm going to go Rock on Raw, even though. It wasn't like the, uh, you know, he didn't carry the show on his back. I found like you did the past few weeks, but he still, I would say, was the, I think again, without him, Raw would feel really flat. And I think this is just a case where it's a tough MVP week because I would maybe go with Kurt and the other one because I thought he did really well in the promo and the beatdown. But I would lean towards Rock just because I feel like Raw is leaning so heavily on Rock's presence right now to kind of buoy it. I would have to agree on Rock. Um, they certainly got a lot out of him. More on Raw. Um, Game Revenge on Hurricane. Setting up his rock concert next week. You know, doing stuff with Teddy, Rodney, Mac, and um, um, yeah, the Stone Cold Beatdown. So, and stealing his beard. <laughs> right, right, and uh, ripping the the beer case and when they fall yeah. over. <laughs> Um, some standout performers besides our MVP. Uh, I'm definitely going to go with Vince. I thought he was awesome uh, in his Vince-isms in that last segment. Very Vince. Uh, but with that, I thought um, I'm going to go with Kurt. Like I mentioned, like he was kind of in the running for MVP for me. I thought he killed it in his segment. Um, probably go with Ray just because he's just so, I don't know, his matches are always a highlight. Like, He's always so good. He's always entertaining. I just get excited when he comes out just to see. I don't know. He's just so fun to watch. Um, trying to think who else on Raw. I thought Jericho had a good showing with that promo. I thought it was pretty good. And he was good in his match. Uh, I don't know. Anybody else stood out to you, Eric? Um, it's always good to see, you know, 2003 RVD just flying around. Um, see him, like, making unique stuff like He's doing a drop kick, side drop kick off the top rope. Like it's not a direct drop kick, so he's sort of hanging uh, more way on the side. I'm like, oh my god, is he gonna break his face open? So his unique offense, the reverse rolling thunder and such. He's always treated. Yeah, the unorthodox, the educated feet, of course. Yeah, yes. always love RPD rules, but uh. It's it's interesting. Like I don't know if I've even like I want to say he's been a standout, but. Definitely not an MVP, and, like, I don't think either one of us mentioned, like, Stone Cold here. I mean, in retrospect, kind of knowing where this headspace was at this time, it kind of makes sense. But it is a little, like, just looking at this in a vacuum, you would think, like, he just returned like it would be. But he's not. Like, the rocks kind of overshadow him. I mean, he's been he's been fine, but he hasn't been, like, stealing the show. Really. Yeah, he's had a bit of an off week, for sure. Um yeah, was he just he has the Bischoff stuff again, and that Sean backstage segment just 
kind of a waste. I agree. But all right. But uh that kind of wraps us up, Eric. So there you go. Your first ever wrestling podcast. Put it in the books. Absolutely. This is a fun. This is a fun revisit a very interesting time in wrestling. Yeah, very good. Um Eric, do you have anything you have going on that you would like to plug or social media or anything? Um, not too much. Uh, I guess, you know, my Twitter is always, you always follow me like, uh, Eric Eels one, uh, at Eric Eels one on Twitter and, um, not much. Uh, I've recently did a appearance on the latest making Mount Rushmore, uh, with Steve Riddle and Keith Langston, you know, that was right before Halloween. So we talked about our favorite Halloween TV specials and ranked, uh, Treehouse of Horror. And I will be on upcoming uh, edition of uh, You Heard About Pluto with our own Jenny Smith over on the Jane position, where I'll be talking about unsolved mysteries. Very good. Yep. Check out all Jenny's stuff. Uh, I believe that drops on Wednesdays, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Wednesdays right. yep. is for the so North South Connection. Right. So check out Jenny's stuff. Check out everything else we have here on the North South Connection. Stuff dropping pretty much every day on all kinds of different topics, mostly wrestling, but you got a few others thrown in there. Like Jenny does a good job. Jenny kind of changes it up a bit, which is cool. So just check everything out. If you just kind of scroll through, I'm sure you'll find something. If you're listening to this, I can't imagine you haven't checked it out, but just in case, go and check that out. Um, anyway, for me, thanks, Eric, for coming uh, coming on. It was nice to have you. Um, get a bang-up job with your first wrestling pod. I'll be happy to have you back anytime. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll be back in a couple weeks, and we will hit the go-home for WrestleMania 19 and then carry on into our – and we'll head down to Safeco or up to Safeco, whatever. Pacific Northwest, we'll head there for our WrestleMania 19. It should be quite a show. So I will see you then. Thanks for listening to – Truth the aggressive podcast. See you next time.